behavior of the Belarus regime is outrageous, illegal, and completely unacceptable. This was a clear attack on democracy and on the freedom of the press. We condemn it and call for his immediate release. We also condemn this kind of dangerous interference in civil aviation. It's one of those moments, folks, where the prime minister is unequivocal in his words and 100% correct. So this involves Alexandra Lukashenko, president of Belarus, often referred to as Europe's last dictator, which he very much is a dictator, a crazy and paranoid one, you might say, uh, but a dictator nonetheless. But even still, even by his standards, this was pretty shocking what essentially amounted to the hijacking of a passenger flight in order to arrest a journalist, a journalist who dared to criticize Lukashenko. This was a passenger flight from Greece to Lithuania, was forced to land in Minsk. And this journalist who was on board the flight was arrested. Let that sink in for a moment. A dictator arranged the hijacking of a passenger flight in order to arrest a journalist. So, yes, the prime minister is obviously entirely correct to call this out and condemn it. But it's got to be more than just that. It's got to be more than just words, doesn't it? So joining us to talk a bit more about the kind of response that's maybe necessary here and to talk a bit more about why there's there's such concern with regard to the president of Belarus. Very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, uh, Marcus Kolga. As a leading Canadian expert on Russian and Central and Eastern European issues, he's a senior fellow with the McDonald Laurier Institute and director of their disinfowatch.org project. Marcus, so great to have you with us here this morning. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on, Rob. Now, I say that even by Lukashenko's standards, this was still pretty shocking. But, uh, you know, your initial reaction to, to what happened here? Uh, well, sure. I mean, the fact that you have a president of a European country who or, who basically fabricates a bomb threat and then uh, orders a fully armed MiG-29 fighter jet to intercept a European passenger airline with hundreds of people on board, putting their safety at risk in order to capture uh, a journalist, not just a journalist, but a critic of his, his regime, yeah. um, is, is truly shocking that this sort of thing could happen in Europe in the year 2021. Now, let's talk about this this particular journalist for a moment. He was based in Poland, um, but as you say, has, has certainly uh, critically covered uh, Lukashenko's uh, regime. Yep. So the fact that he is now in custody in Belarus, how, how worried should we be about his safety? Well, I, I, we have to be quite worried. Um, this uh, this journalist, uh, activist, uh, Roman Protasevich, uh, he ran the next uh, social media platform. This is a an online social media uh, sort of a news outlet uh, that sort of appeared a, a couple of years ago and became really prominent last August when Alexander Lukashenko held well, what we, you know, we put in quotation marks an election um, that was completely fraudulent and which he won by an overwhelming majority, of course. Right. Um, uh, this platform became prominent then because Belarusians after 27 years of Lukashenko's uh, totalitarian rule, um, rose up and took to the streets. 
um, there was a violent and brutal crackdown on these protests. Um, you know, since that time, you know, now a year later, most independent journalists who remained in Belarus have been put in prison. The rest have gone into exile. Um, Belarusians, uh, they're, they're living in fear every single day. And uh, the important role that Nexta played was that it allowed those Belarusians who took to the streets to use their cell phones to take photos and videos of the protests, but also of those brutal crackdowns. And they were uploaded to the Nexta platform. And it was really one of the only ways that Belarusians could share information uh, transparently and, you know, factual information amongst each other since every other outlet had been closed. And, and that represented ne- what Nexta represents and the ability to um, share information freely. That's the threat that that poses to Alexander Lukashenko's power is so extreme that it drove him to this hijacking. And, um, and there is real, very real fear for, for Roman safety. Um, there was a forced confession that was squeezed out of him. It was, was broadcast on Belarusian State uh, TV. And I should also mention Belarusian State TV uploaded it to YouTube as well. So YouTube was also part of this and facilitated the broadcasting of this forced uh, confession. But uh, his father had commented that um, he, he didn't look well. Um, we can see that he had, it looks like he had some makeup on. There were clearly bruises all over his face. And his father had mentioned that uh, it looked like he had a few teeth missing and that he was sent to the hospital yesterday with a quote-unquote heart condition. So, uh, you know, I think that all Western governments should be very much concerned for his safety at this point. That's the thing, and that's kind of the dilemma at the heart of all of this, as you say. I mean, we, we should want dictators to, to feel insecure, to, to fear their their population, right? to feel vulnerable, but desperate dictators are, are dangerous dictators, aren't they? Well, Rob, the, the reverse is true, unfortunately. So what's, what Alexander Lukashenko is engaging in is this growing transnational repression where dictators and authoritarians no longer respect borders. They no longer respect individual passports. Um, we've seen Vladimir Putin um, send off his agents who have been identified as a Russian government agent to poison Putin's critics abroad in the UK. We saw what happened to Alexei Navalny. Um, and within these countries as well, you know, we, we clearly know what the Chinese government did to the two Michaels. And Hussein Jalil, way back in 2006, an Uyghur Canadian who was critical of the Chinese government, was detained in 2006 and hasn't seen his family since that time. So this is a problem that's only growing, and this latest hijacking is, um, you know, a, a clear escalation of this. And I can, you know, I think Canadians should be concerned that Moscow and Beijing are both watching this very closely. They're going to monitor the Western response to this. And uh, I fear that if we don't stand up now, if we don't impose costs on this sort of behavior, um, this is something that we may see countries like governments like the Russian government and the Chinese government engage in in the future uh, and, and try to capture critics of those regimes. So it's, it's, it's very serious. How much does Lukashenko rely on these regimes, Moscow in particular? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, he is right now he is entirely reliant uh, on Vladimir Putin and the Russian government and their support. He would not be remaining in power um, if it weren't for their support. Uh, currently, the 
the Russian government is is funding the Lukashenko regime. It's 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 providing a lifeline to allow it to stay alive. Uh, it's sending all sorts of support. Uh, it's basically uh, the the Russian government um, agents who run uh, Russian state media have also been flown into Minsk. They are running Lukashenko's propaganda machine right now. And uh, it's clear that Russia is also setting up new political movements um, ahead of any sort of future elections to make sure that they can control the entire political situation uh, in Belarus. So, you know, it's it's clear that that Putin is controlling Lukashenko, the the political uh, environment in Belarus. And this latest hijacking, there are a lot of analysts who believe that uh, Vladimir Putin was aware of this before it happened and that Lukashenko would have had to have asked for his approval beforehand. So mm-hmm. part of that pushback that the, the Western governments need to do is also it has to include Russia if we want to uh, if we want to uh, stop this sort of behavior. It was odd yesterday because, you know, a logical first step might be to expel the, the ambassador for Belarus, but Belarus kind of, I guess, in a way, beat us to the punch yesterday, announcing that they were closing their embassy in Canada. They didn't really give a reason, uh, but what, what did you make of that? Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of an odd move. Um, it's unfortunate for a Belarusians living in Canada because they were able to um, vote in the uh, presidential election in August through the embassy, and and uh, they voted overwhelmingly to remove Lukashenko from from office. Um, I'm not sure what other role the embassy plays. We don't have any uh, commercial uh, interests with Belarus. Right. Uh, I think the the diplomatic relations have you know have been ultimately suspended at least in, in the, over the past 12 months, if not longer. Um, one of the other interesting things is that there is a creeping, what a lot of analysts believe is a creeping annexation by Russia of Belarus. Um, it's entirely possible that within the next 12 to 24 months, Belarus won't require its own embassy as their embassy will be the Russian embassy in Ottawa. So this could also be part of that. By the way, I wanted to ask you about this, and I saw you tweeted about this. Uh, people may be following the uh, World Hockey Championships, the uh, IIHF uh, Championships happening in Latvia right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. The organizers, I think in response to this then, correct me if I'm wrong, they, they took down the Belarusian flag and put up a, a, uh, a Belarusian freedom flag. The IIHF denounced that move, ordered them to reinstate the flag of Belarus without calling out uh, this, this incident or the Belarusian dictator. What did you make of that? Uh, absolutely bizarre. I mean, I fully applaud the Latvian government, the mayor of Riga, so that's the capital of Latvia where the uh, IHF championships are taking place right now. They were, of course, supposed to take place in both Minsk and in Riga. But uh, after the uh, crackdown last summer, um, it was decided with overwhelming international pressure to uh, limit the, the championship to Latvia. It was probably safer for the players. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, the Latvian government, like, like, as I mentioned, the, Lat- the mayor of Riga uh, decided to remove or replace the, um, the official um, flag of Belarus, which is a Soviet-era flag with the traditional 
red and white flag of, of Belarus. And, uh, you know, the, the Belarusian government, the Lukashenko government, didn't like that too much. And uh, we know that he's very cozy with IIHF President René Fazal. And uh, René Fazal had, uh, through the IHF, uh, put out a statement and uh, sent a letter to the mayor of Riga stating uh, exactly, as you say, that they should be removing uh, that flag, and if not, that the, that the mayor of Riga should remove the IIHF flag from uh, the from Riga City Hall, and so it's the it's utterly bizarre that the IIHF, through its president, has actually stood up for Alexander Lukashenko and the repressive government of Belarus. Um, it's it's remarkable, and I think that all. Um, all, federa- all national federations that are part of the IHF should be taking a look at this and uh, taking a closer look at who the president is and, you know, considering maybe replacing him with someone who shares uh, our values and the, and the values of the players that play in those federations. And by the way, what a contrast, right? I mean, you know, two former Soviet republics, Latvia is, is a thriving democracy with free and fair elections, freedom of the press, freedom of association. And then we've got Belarus, which is just the exact opposite. Uh, yeah. And, I, you know, I would include in there you know, Lithuania yeah. um, and Estonia. Those are, you know, the, the three Baltic states are you know, shining examples of how over the past 30 years, these nations have transformed into some of the most free and transparent uh, and democratic nations, not just in Europe, but in the world. Um, And you're right. I mean, what a contrast. Uh, Belarus has been stuck literally in, in the Soviet era with this dictator who's a, you know, basically a former tractor driver at a, at a collective farm. Um, who has controlled his population, repressed it for for 30 years? It's not surprising. I mean, he cozies up to Vladimir Putin, and and you know, let's not be mistaken. Re- Russia, although it creates the facade of having elections, is very much the same type of regime. Yeah. Um, the elections are are controlled. The uh, the results are falsified, all in order to uh, ensure that Vladimir Putin remains in power, who has been in there for 21 years now and is extending uh, he has made a constitutional amendment to uh, extend his rule to 2036 um so we're looking at very much the same type of regime in russia as we are in, in belarus and that represents a serious threat to that democracy in the baltic states to nato and much of the western world and we need to start recognizing this especially this country and the the leadership in Canada needs to start recognizing that and standing up against this sort of, uh, like I said, transnational repression and the growth of illiberal democracies. So what should our next step be? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, we, everyone talks about sanctions. Uh, you know, sanctions are, of course, important. With regards to the Lukashenko regime and uh, the, his you know, cronies around him, uh, placing individual sanctions on them is, is probably not going to be very effective. They're not able to travel around Europe anyway, and, uh, you know, they're not keeping their funds. They don't, I mean, the funds that they do have are not being kept outside of the country. So the most effective thing, if we're talking about sanctions, is targeting large corporations, Belarusian corporations. They, uh, Lukashenko relies on revenues from fertilizers, so f- companies that deal in fertilizers, potash and such, 
um, we should be placing sanctions along with our allies on those companies so that they're not able to do business and generate those revenues. Uh, we should also be looking towards Russia and the oligarchs uh, who both uh, enable Vladimir Putin, they act as his cashiers, but also help, they're also active in Belarus. Um, and so the oligarchs are the ones that control the money, they control the power. And if you threaten them with sanctions and place sanctions on them, that's where I think that you will see significant change happen. Um, but we can also, with regards to Belarus, we can also pull the plug on their ability to uh, interact financially on, on the world stage. That means revoking their access to the SWIFT banking system. That way they, they can't interact financially. And one of the things that Canada should be doing, again, along with allies, is funding Belarusian civil society and independent media. And this means, you know, the people that are actually suffering, the, the, the families of victims and the ones like Roman Protasevich who are providing free and transparent media to the Belarusian people. We need to help them. That's, that's how I think that we'll, in the long term, we'll, we'll see positive change in uh, in belarus so that's a few things i mean there's a lot more but but those are those those things are a start we'll leave it there for now much more is mentioned disinfowatch.org also mcdonaldlaurier.ca marcus kolga thanks so much for making some time for us here this morning appreciate it anytime thanks for having me on rob all the best that is marcus kolga senior fellow with the mcdonald laurier institute director of their disinfowatch.org projects played a big role in canada adopting a magnitsky law leading canadian expert on russian and uh, central and eastern european issues